Ever wonder why you remember some things and forget other things? Yeah, memory is kind of one of the great last giant mysteries of how our brains work. But today on the Weekly Walk podcast, Eric and I are going to share a little bit of what the science teaches us, as well as our own experiences, and finally, how it is that our brains work so differently. So if you've been curious about how to make memories, why we make memories, and why we forget, lace up your sneakers and let's get going. Hey, Eric. Hey, Joyce. I think we screwed something up. What? The theme of the month around here is make memories. Uh, I forgot. (laughs) But we've never talked. It's like we're suggesting to people that they make memories, but we haven't spent any time talking about how in the world you do that. You know why? Why? I forgot. (laughs) (laughs) Have you spent any time researching the neuroscience behind memory? Years ago, I had it sort of explained to me, and I don't think this is really accurate, but this is sort of the way I envision it. So picture a brain. Okay. And it's like this lumpy, wrinkly thing. Right, I'm already freaking out. Like I'm already creeped out. (laughs) But someone once explained it to me, or they said it's like your brain has all these different folds in it. And when you make a memory, you make like a new fold within your brain. And I don't think that's accurate, really. But I think it's sort of like an analogy. Sort of. Because you know how sometimes when you fold like a piece of paper or even clothes, like you make a nice, crisp, sharp fold. And sometimes it's it, when I fold clothes, it's I, I, more. <laughs> I'm listening to this, and I have never seen you make a nice, crisp fold. Like I've well, always it been... was it was the broad you, <laughs> like they say, like you know, it wasn't like me specifically. Like I've you know, always somehow been, like oh my people... god, you're just not letting me talk. <laughs> nope. I'm on a roll. You know how somehow like the people at stores make really crisp folds. They have like those little folding templates. I don't. (laughs) I learned to fold towels by watching the people at the Ralph Lauren home store like a million years ago because, gosh, they folded those towels so perfectly. And one day I really watched and I was like, oh, that's how you do it. It changed my life. And you remember that. So interesting. I do remember that. And you know why I remember that? Because it changed your life? No, repetition, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But that's exactly why. Because I went home and I practiced it. I literally pulled out all of the towels and I refolded them. And then over time, I had to kind of repractice it. Like when I was folding a towel, I'd be like, now wait, how do you do it? And now it's totally second nature. See, and when I was talking about you remembered that, I wasn't even talking about you remembered how to fold a towel. What I was talking about was you remembered the experience of being in Ralph Lauren's store and watching them fold the towels. True. And just to be clear, it was the Ralph Lauren outlet store, which is no longer exists, <laughs> which is so sad. So here's how Johns Hopkins explains 
memory, which I, I just find it so fascinating. I've been researching this and I listened to a podcast a couple of years ago, which I also remember, that talked in depth about the how memories are formed, why we remember some things and not. I mean, it's so interesting. Okay. Johns Hopkins University explains it like this. When we learn something, even as simple as someone's name, we form connections between neurons in our brain. These synapses create new circuits between nerve cells, essentially remapping the brain. A little bit like the folds you're talk you were talking about. The sheer number of possible connections gives the brain unfathomable flexibility. Each of the brain's 100 billion nerve cells can each have 10,000 connections to other nerve cells. So I don't know that it's exactly a fold, but it is creating a new neuron and a new connection. It's just unbelievable. I wonder who counted them. <laughs> One, <laughs> two, three, <laughs> 100 billion. <laughs> so uh, the formation of memory and how memory works remains really mysterious, even to neuroscience scientists. Like the brain is still something of a black box. But maybe, this maybe is our daughter will figure it out. Yeah, she is currently studying neuroscience. So why... Do you think our brains remember some things and not others? There's one theory about why that is, which does not seem to really apply to my towel folding situation. But why do you think our brains remember some things and not others? Well, I think the real instance, the real reason is the brain is wired to remember things that it thinks will help us survive. I mean, that's that's the the root of it, in in my opinion. But I'm really hard pressed to understand how playing with the coolest matchbox motorcycle in the sandbox at the Presbyterian church, which was like five houses down from my house when I was five. And Eric Getz had the motorcycle matchbox, which I thought was the coolest. How that literal memory from when I was five is going to help me survive. I know. So I agree with you. Like what would make the most sense is our brain's remember things that are wired to our survival mechanism, right? And yet, I don't know how that random memory of learning to fold towels properly, which maybe I should show everybody in a video because, like, honestly, it was life-changing. But anyway, how in the world is that tied to some kind of survival situation? Though, I got to say, it gives me a lot of joy when I look at the shelf and all the towels are just lined up so neat and tidy. You can't see any of the edges. Oh, it's so beautiful. But yeah, that is sort of uh, the one of the theories, certainly, is we remember the things that for some reason our brains deem important. Yeah, we, we remember the rock where the saber-toothed tiger was hiding behind. <laughs> for sure, which makes a whole lot more sense than the matchbox motorcycle. I mean, one of my absolute earliest memories is 
being outside playing in the snow as a kid and the snow plow coming down the street and I was probably four. I mean, this is really one of my earliest memories. And running in terror <laughs> away from the road because the giant snowplow was coming. And I was sure I was going to get buried under this massive pile of snow. All right. Well, that one makes a ton of sense because the research does show that we remember things that for which we have a strong emotional component or that are traumatic in some way. And that clearly that uh, snowplow was the modern day saber tooth tiger of your youth. <laughs> but right. So I'll go back with that with another memory. I have a incredibly vivid memory. I was probably a little bit older than that, but we had a huge snowstorm and we built a snow fort igloo in our backyard. And I, gosh, I can remember crawling into this snow fort. I remember forming the like chairs out of snow, like so you could sit on them. What in the world? I mean, was that some like building a shelter in the cold memory? Is that why that's in there? I have no idea. Got me, but good to know in case we ever get trapped in a blizzard that you could build a snow shelter. Absolutely. <laughs> so what do we remember? We remember traumatic things. We remember things that help us survive. And we remember things uh, as a result of repetition, for sure. Things that we do over and over again or see over and over again. And I, I think things that we're sometimes intentional about. I remember early, early in my career, I was producing a, a pretty big event. And once the event got rolling, I sort of was able to step back and watch. I just put all the pieces in place and the pieces happened. And I remember like saying to myself, like, remember this moment. And lo and behold, <laughs> I still do. So there's a book, a fairly recent book called Why We Forget and How to Remember Better, The Science Behind Memory, which I think basically... Wait, what's, what's it called? <laughs> I think from everything I've seen, they don't actually understand. They certainly don't fully understand the science behind memory yet. But the first thing, so they have a four-part kind of how to remember stuff. And the first thing on that list is focus, which is exactly what you're talking about. So when we talk around here about making memories, the first thing you have to do is actually focus on the memory. So focus on the experience. So being present? Totally being present. And I think also doing what you did, which is telling yourself, I want to capture this moment in my mind and, and remember it. You know, they talk about I, I, so many people, myself included, will say, I'm terrible with names. I don't remember the names of people I meet. Right. Oh, totally. We were just we were just at a party over the weekend. And uh, I remember I remember for sure. I remember one person's name. Do you know whose name I remember? The dog? Nope. Eric's. <laughs> oh, so funny. We met a guy whose name was Eric and that was easy to remember. Yep. Uh, but what the research shows is actually that we don't forget the names of people we meet. 
we never actually learn them in the first place. I'll often ask someone to repeat it and try to drill it in my head when I'm trying to remember their name if if it's important or just I'm I'm being present and want to actually remember their name I'll ask them to repeat it and then often what happens is I'll completely forget or you know won't sink in and literally five minutes later in the same conversation I will say I'm so sorry remind me of your name again I really don't want to forget it and they will and that often will help you know the only problem with that is I always feel like once I've done that if I don't remember it, like then I then it's really uncomfortable. Oh yeah, well we have a new neighbor who has introduced himself. See him all the time, no idea what his name is, and every time he sees me, he's like, "Hi, Eric," <laughs> and I'm like, "Hey, guy, <laughs> hey there," <laughs> and it's so awkward, and it's been months. And I just can't bear to go and say, what's your name again? <laughs> well, this has actually gotten really bad because now you've, like, nicknamed him something, <laughs> right? Like, I don't I don't even remember what you – but you've nicknamed him, like, Boris or something, which is not his name. So now he's just Boris in my brain, and I can't possibly remember his actual name. Yeah. And we have another neighbor who I keep meaning to ask, like, what the heck is that guy's name? But Because she will remember. Yeah. So, <laughs> oh, man. So in order to remember something, the first thing we need to do is focus on it, focus our intention on it. For sure. Next. And, yeah. and you know, there are certain things and certain times, and you know, we're talking about this during the holidays, but this also applies to other special events, birthdays, et cetera. And a lot of the reason that we do remember those things, and, and it's interesting, you can say, if you focus on things, you'll remember them. But I think you could also say things you remembered are pretty much from times you were focused. <laughs> so I think that if we focus and set ourselves up in these experiences, then we're going to be more likely to remember them. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I went off on a tangent, got lost. I forgot where I was going with that. <laughs> All right. The second thing is we have to find a way to organize that information in our brains. What do you mean by organize? So, you know, just taking the example of uh, getting uh, someone's name. Right. Right. It's great to try to tie that to something else. So come up with some association between the name, like the guy you met, Eric. You just have to associate yourself with him. <laughs> that was easy. Uh, but it is easy, but it's not so easy because had had that just gone right over your head, had it, you not really registered it, you wouldn't have. You wouldn't remember it. Well, we sort of had a whole conversation around it. Like, Well, there you go, right? So that helps to organize that information. You had a whole conversation around it. Yeah. So Because I, I was, you know, I, whatever started the interaction and I'm like, I introduced myself as Eric and he sort of looked puzzled and he goes, Eric. <laughs> and we were like, you're Eric? Yeah, I'm Eric too. And then it was, I guess, organized. Right. So finding a way to organize that information, tie it to a different, or tie it to something else. So I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about ankles 
Ankles? Ankles. Ankle flexibility. And they were talking about... Oh, I'm obsessed with ankle flexibility. So they were talking about... Do you know about... how much I've improved my ankle flexibility over the last year? I'm like, it's, my ankles are like a whole new ankle. <laughs> well, that's very exciting. And just <laughs> as long as we're on the topic. They did say how hard it is to improve your ankle flexibility. Like you can open up your hips and stretch out your shoulders and you'll, you know, get tons of mobility. And in like, you know, a couple minutes. But ankles take forever. Anyway. I've been diligent. Okay. So the reason that I'm Do talking about Do I know how I've done it? I'm kidding. Go ahead. Is there's two types of ankle motion. Is sort of pointing your toes down is plantar. And pulling your toes sort of up towards your knee or your shin is dorsi or dorsiflexion. And the way that the speaker in the podcast remembered it, which now I remember it, is plantar is like you're planting something down in the ground. So you're pointing your toe down. Dorsiflexion is like the dorsal fin of a dolphin or a shark. And that's up because it sticks up. So that's how you remember dorsiflexion and plantar flexion. I don't know how what the actual term is, but... Uh, so anyway, like it was organized. Right. You tie a new thought or a new experience or a new something, a new potential memory to something that's in there because you and not everybody would necessarily be able to tie it to a dorsal fin if you didn't have a clear memory or understanding of what a dorsal fin actually looks like. There are lots of people that that would be meaningless to. Well, someone out there is probably going, oh, now I know what a dorsal fin is. It's like dorsiflexion. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The third thing you need to do to turn something into a memory, at least according to this book, is to understand it. And I think that's a big part of learning something new. If you don't really understand it, you just, and I think this might be the problem with our neighbor's name <laughs> uh, because he's foreign mm -hmm. and his name is pronounced in a way that sort of doesn't register to my American English brain. It's not like his name is John. Like, I'm not even sure I can quite pronounce his name. Yeah, it's something, something and no, <laughs> no disrespect. I just it doesn't it doesn't stick in my brain because it's not familiar. It's not a name that I understand in the context of a name. Makes sense. Our poor neighbor. I hope he never listens to this podcast. <laughs> I don't think there's much risk of that. <laughs> okay, so you have to understand the information. And last but not least is relating it to something else. So this goes back to the dorsal fin and the planting of something with your foot. Plantar flexion and dorsiflexion, yes. Planting something down in the ground. Yeah, when I meet someone and they'll say their name, I'll try to often think of another person that I know with that same name and relate those two people together. Really? Yep. So we met a new, we made a new friend yesterday, Stacy. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now I'm tying new Stacy to old Stacy. Correct. But they have nothing in common. Except the name. Right. So if you see new Stacy, 
but in your brain you think old Stacy and you're like what's her name and in your brain you think old Stacy then you'll go oh Stacy but why are the how do I connect those two Stacys I need uh, some connection uh both both lived in New York sort of New York have a New York connection interesting just a thought but again it it is important to sort of find those connections so we, I saw someone that I met and learned his name and you know his name and whatever. What's his name? Uh, Patton. So for... Oh my gosh, know, so I, many old people, like old friends and people listening to this podcast. They may, that's okay. Yeah, but nothing disparaging or anything. I just forgot his name and I know I know his name. But now I am sort of equating him to the World War II general, General Patton. Oh, yeah, I could see that. And I think that hopefully that will make it stick and I won't forget his name next time. Okay, but then here's the question. How is it that I remember his wife's name so clearly? So I used to uh, study karate with his wife, but we're talking 15 years ago, and it's not like she was a dear friend, and yet I remember her name like forever. Why do I remember some things and not others? Despite all of the research I've done and how memories get made, it still baffles me. It, ask, ask our daughter to figure it out because, again, the, you know, and this is a little bit of where we started, but the, I don't know, scope or contradictory nature of useless things that we remember. And, I mean, I'm, not the king, but I, I'm pretty good at just useless little trivia and facts that just stick in my brain. So you know what's really interesting about that? I have always uh, felt bad about myself that I don't remember things like stuff that I've worked on. I talk about cases that I've worked on, litigations that I worked on, and I don't I don't remember them at all. And you remember more of details of some of the cases that I worked on than I do. And I've always felt like there must be something, not there must be something wrong with me, but that that's a shortcoming. I guess that's what I'm looking for. That's a shortcoming. But as I research memory, one of the things that comes up over and over again is the power of forgetting and this idea that in order to pull up a memory, in order to think clearly, in order to make connections, our poor brains have to sort through all of the memories to find the things to make the connections. So one theory is that forgetting is like a critical part of enabling your brain to work at its very best. Now that said, you're super smart, like super, super smart. And yet you remember so much more of those kind of little things than I do. Well, I think that the, I, you I know are equally smart, but I think the, specifically around some of your law cases is, to me, they're much more novel and unique. To you, they're just sort of work and part of the grind and you've gone from one to the other over many years. And for me, you know, I've sort of been with you back when you were practicing, and there's really been maybe a half dozen sort of interesting cases that I kind of 
remember. And again, they're they're novel, they're unique, they're more memorable to me. To you, they're just day in and day out, part of the grind a little bit. Maybe, sort maybe, but I, I, that's I'm my trying, theory. All right, but I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to make more peace with the fact that I don't remember a lot of things, and you do remember a lot of things, and I'm trying to see that as because uh, you know you can say that that's why but there's no doubt that you remember a ton more minutia uh, using the i don't mean it to sound so pejorative but you remember a ton more stuff than i do and i've always felt that like maybe i'm just not that smart but i'm trying to sort of reframe that and this is not a you versus me thing so don't get all defensive and eric like about it <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you. Um, but I I wonder, you know, one of one of the things that I'm good at, I believe, is kind of forming connections and uh, seeing big picture kind of stuff. And maybe my I think I have a unique ability to do that. And I think maybe part of that ability is driven by the fact that I don't remember little things so my brain sorts through less of that i can totally see that and my brain is cluttered with little useless stuff <laughs> that's it's not what i mean but you but you have you have certain abilities and skills that i don't have we're just not the same no two Snowflakes are alike. No two people are the same. Anybody over 55, 60? Remember Arnold Horshack from Welcome Back, Cotter? Testing your memory? That's what he used to say. Anyway, you're not working with me on this at all. No, I totally see what you're saying. And I think that... Should I feel bad that I don't remember things? Absolutely not. I think it's, I, I think it's been to your advantage, again, that you're brain, and I'm not saying this pejoratively on myself, but that your brain is not cluttered with minutia, that you are able to access different parts, use different parts, and make different connections, and I'm talking about connections of concepts and, and thoughts, rather than connections of my first bicycle that my dad ran over because I left it in the driveway. <laughs> <laughs> That's just you just remember that because it's a traumatic experience. But I, I'm serious about this. I feel like you are more action oriented, obviously, than I am. And I am more conceptually oriented. And maybe that has something to maybe that aligns with our brains. I think it definitely aligns with our brains. I agree with you. So interesting. 100%, yeah. Never really thought about this. Really? Yeah, that the way we form and process and retain memories may have an impact on how it is that we function intellectually differently. Not better, not worse. That's why I'm saying it's like not pejorative, but we do have different strengths. And I think, my gosh, this is so interesting. I think that the way we remember things relates to that. I totally see where you're going with that fascinating yes it is all right what else well we're oh my gosh we're almost out of time I, on the memory thing i know so 
like do we want to talk about how can how can we translate this from sort of the theoretical that we've been talking about to this holiday season and birthdays and special events and all the memories that we want to create so i guess we talked about it a little bit like in that experience where i was running that event so maybe it's something uh about your family or an experience i guess when you are doing something experiencing something that you really want to remember tell yourself i want to remember this focus be in the moment um Research shows that photographs actually really help. So this idea that sometimes we feel like almost taking a picture of the moment is almost a cheat because then you remember the picture and not the experience. Uh, but they have shown that photographs trigger memories. So feel free to go back at the end of the year and reflect on the pictures of the year. Repetition helps build those memories for the long haul. So do that. Yeah. It's funny, we went wildlife spotting in Wyoming in winter, uh, 10 years ago, I'm guessing. And for some reason, those pictures pop up in my social media all the time. They're on my phone and I, I see those pictures. There's one of them that I, that I took that I remember taking or I remember seeing that after I took it that really stands out. I now remember that day so clearly through both the pictures and in my mind's eye, the, the experience itself. And I think that, you know, it, it's not cheating, it's reinforcing and maybe it is cheating, but it doesn't really matter because I have a wonderful memory of that day with the family. And it's totally not cheating. It's giving yourself the opportunity for the repetition that helps encode a memory. And it gives you the opportunity to form those connections that help you recall that memory. It's totally not cheating. So be present. Take, go ahead, take the picture. Revi revisit those pictures from time to time, which is one of the challenges of our phones with thousands and thousands of pictures. Mark your favorites and go through them from time to time. And remember that we remember experiences that are unique experiences that are special. And for me, the last piece of the puzzle is give yourself some grace about the things that you forget, because that's just your brain learning to sort. I used to think that when I went out into nature and left my phone and earbuds behind and in silence, letting my mind go wherever it wanted, that I was doing a walking meditation. And then I met Yael Shai, and she taught me that there's so much more to a walking meditation. It was so incredible and insightful and expanded my world in such a way that I went to Yael and I said, will you work with us to create a program, 30 days, 30 walks, that could help introduce other people to the power of a walking meditation? Can we dismantle the idea that in order to meditate, you have to sit in a dimly lit room on a cushion? Can we create 
a meditation program for people who love to move. And so we did Meet the Joyful Wanderer 30-Day Walking Meditation app, which is available in the Apple Store and the Google Play Store right now.